بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الصلاة والسلام على أشرف الأنبياء والمرسلين سيدنا ومولانا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين السلام عليكم ورحمة الله وبركاته Welcome back to Left or Right, the straight path, please. My name is Um Abdullah and I'm very happy to welcome you back. In the last episode, we looked at the first part of Surah Al-Fatiha and how it indicates towards us the first of two of our journeys that we are on concurrently in this existence and that is called the involuntary journey or a sayr al-ijbari is its name in Arabic. Sayr means a journey and ijbari means something which is forced. This week I did say that we would go on to the second part of Surah Al-Fatiha and that comprises a lot of the meanings for the second journey which is called the voluntary journey or a sayr al-ikhtiyari which is a, a journey with choice or a voluntary journey. Literally, it's what it is in Arabic as well. However, I would like to just postpone that second part of Surah Al-Fatiha and instead take a bit more of a look at the involuntary journey, at what some of our scholars have said about it, and it's quite a large topic. And then, inshallah, to focus on a particular book of Imam Haddad, Rahimahullah, called The Lives of Man. That's its translated name. Uh, and it's a book that a lot of you would probably be familiar with if you know about the books and the canon of Imam Haddad's legacy of his uh, scholarly writings. So inshallah, it should be familiar. And in that, he takes us through in some detail through the five stages of existence within the involuntary journey that he has identified. But first of all, we'll start with our dua from also Imam Haddad. Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen. Allahumma inni nawaitu ta'alamu wa ta'alim wa tadhakura wa tadhkir wa nafaw al-intifa' wa al-ifada wa al-istifada wa al-hatha ala tamassuki bi kitabillahi wa sunnati rasuli wa dua ila al-huda wa dalalata ala al-khayr. ابتغاء وجه الله ومرضاته وكربه وثوابه سبحانه وتعالى. The translation of which is all praise to Allah, Lord of the worlds. I intend to learn and teach, to remember and remind, to benefit myself and to benefit others, to derive usefulness and extend it to others, to encourage adherence to the book of Allah and the sunnah of his messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, to call to guidance, direct towards good, seeking thereby the countenance of Allah, his divine pleasure, closeness and his reward, the most exalted and high. Amen. Feel free to go to our Instagram page at Misk Women and you will see the translation there. It's coloured in green. Okay, so last time we looked at the first part of Surah Al-Fatiha, which starts with, أَضُوا بِاللَّهِ مِنَ الشَّيْطَانِ الرَّجِيمِ بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين الرحمن الرحيم مالك يوم الدين From that we learnt that the beginning of everything is in the ba, in the b, the very first letter in بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم and going through those words of Surah Al-Fatiha we came out at مالك يوم الدين which is where our journey finishes after passing through the stage between death and resurrection and when we will stand before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So that lets us know that not only do we have a physical and spiritual presence here in this worldly life, but that our existence will continue where we will stand before Allah resurrected and our deeds will be weighed and judged. And it is from there that we move on to one of the two final abodes, either the gardens of paradise or, and we seek refuge in Allah, the fires of hell. Inshallah, Allah make us all of those of paradise, inshallah. And then we also spoke about the white dune or the Al-Kathib Al-Abiyat, which is really the final point where the countenance of Allah 
most exalted and high, subhanahu wa ta'ala, is manifested to the believers and that that really is the meaning of paradise and that for anybody to be deprived of that is the real meaning of hell. Okay, what that talks about really is this involuntary journey as we mentioned. So here we are, we're born, we live, we die and we move on into the next life and this is the part of our existence that we have no choice in. When it comes to something like people thinking that they're going to get themselves off this journey themselves, it's the same process in terms of outlet. So a person cannot but leave this life through death. And regardless of how that happens, and regardless of whether Islamically that's considered wrong, which it is for a person to take their own life, but the point is that that's still the only way out. Okay, there's no other exit apart from through the doors of death and moving on to the next realm. Anyway, our topic for today is looking at these, what we call al-alam wa mawatinuhu. So this is the world or the universe and its different stages. And as we said, Imam Haddad has identified and discussed in some detail that our existence occurs in five distinct realms. And that will be the time before our entrance to this world, our existence here in this world, then the intermediary realm, then the resurrection and the account, and then the final and eternal abode. There are other scholars, however, who have come up with different conceptualizations of that in terms of expanding upon it. So I will just read for you some of the conceptualizations that other scholars have come up with, and it's extremely interesting. So as we said, Imam Haddad has recognized five. There are other scholars who put it as seven. For example, there is a scholar called uh, Ashaka Muhammad al-Hashimi, and he has recognized through another book a commentary that he did on a work of Ibn al-Arabi and he has recognized seven. Uh, there are others who have put it to 40. So there is a particular scholar called Al-Ajili who lived in the 9th century Hijra and he has calculated the stages of existence as 40. There is another one called Al-Harawi who wrote a book called Manazil As-Sa'irin and he was 400 years before Al-Jili and he calculated them as being 100 stages of existence. Others have said that there are 1,000. How do they calculate that? Because they look at the different stages of existence between Allah and the servant and the levels of light and darkness of nur and dhulma. Others have said there are 70,000 veils and that's going on the hadith that there are 70,000 veils between the servant and his Lord. Others say that there are, in a general sense, 100,000 stages of existence and specifically 1,000. Others have put it down to three levels uh, such as Sheikh Uraghab al-Asfahani. And then other scholars have said that there is only one level of existence and that it's comprised in Wallahu yakhtasu bi rahmatihi may yasha A verse from the Quran. Allah selects for his mercy who he wills. What does that mean? It means that this whole existence is rahmah, is divine mercy. MashaAllah is very, very beautiful and very, very deep meaning. When we talk about all these different levels of existence, of course it can't be simply just a physical existence or a stage that the body goes through without the soul. No, most of these have got to do with the state of the soul and with the state of the heart and what level of purification or otherwise that a person goes through and the stages that the person goes through. As well as that, there is also a lot of discussion about the existence of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, discussing the different realities of his that, of his essence, of his sifat, of his attributes and characteristics, and of his af'al, his 
actions. Of course, those three elements are always inextricably intertwined because nothing can happen without the will and the power and the knowledge of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Those are aqidah issues, which inshallah at the very, very end of our other podcast, which is on Imam Ghazali's beginning of guidance, inshallah we will be going into aqidah then. However, the point is that there is discussion on what all those different aspects are and what they mean. So how can a scholar go from, say, one to three or to 40 or a thousand different ways of understanding existence? It's because they go into great detail about those types of issues, not only of wujud, which is existence, but also of al-adam, which is non-existence. Because at the very beginning, there was only Allah and nothing else existed. And then he, subhanahu wa ta'ala, brought everything into existence. So that's discussed. However, today we're looking at the five stages of existence that Imam Haddad has written about. And the important thing to know, as we've said, is that all of this is ijbari. That this is something that we cannot control and it is a, a path of existence that we have been created for and put on. When we talk about the voluntary path, the ikhtiyari, which inshallah we'll go into more detail next week, what that comes down to is the fact that not only did Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala create us and put us on this involuntary journey, but he also laid out for us a proper path and a proper way to live on that journey. And that is called the sharia. The word shara'a in its regular linguistic meaning means a path that is trod to a waterhole. When there is a need for a thirst to be quenched or for nourishment to be attained, then an animal will walk along the path that leads to a waterhole in order to satisfy itself and its need for sustenance. And that's where sharia, which is the divine law, gets its meaning from because it itself is a path that we walk along to find our sustenance. And our sustenance is in two things, through knowledge, because the sharia is where our divine knowledge is contained. It's in performing acts that we have been commissioned or obligated to do by our Lord and Creator, the one who's put us on this involuntary journey. And it's also about avoiding or leaving other acts, which he has ordered us to stay away from so that we don't spoil this journey that we're on. And the one who's able to commit themselves and adhere to the performance of the things that are obligated and to avoid the things that are prohibited is the one who will successfully reach their destination. And that destination is the coming before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and bliss in the eternal afterlife and having that countenance of Allah manifested at the Kathibul Abiyad at the White June. And the one who is the opposite of that, the person who wasn't able to control themselves or use their intellect and discipline themselves and understand that we're only here for a very short time and that we need to live this life in the way which is the most congruent and appropriate to our physical and spiritual condition and meanings of that existence here. So the one who has allowed their lower self, their nafsul amarati bisu, and the one who has allowed the shaitan, the whispering rebellious devil, to get the better of them and to overcome them and to make them creatures who are really no better than animals and creatures who are living purely from their lower selves and without any development of a higher consciousness or a higher understanding or of a seeking anything better than the trivial and miserable and low-life things of this dunya, such as money and uh, fulfilling passion and desire and buying things and just living and consuming and eating and drinking and blindly following the blind, which is basically what the people of this world do, those who haven't 
had any light cast into their heart, to those who haven't been able to see that, well, we're here for those things to keep ourselves alive and to procreate and to make our life here comfortable and all that's fine and good and the way it should be, but really our ultimate purpose is not satisfying those lower desires, but our ultimate purpose is to become and develop our worshipful aspect as servants of the Lord, as servants of the Creator, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and that for a person to fulfill that, then they need to follow this path, this shara, this way, this trodden path that leads you to that waterhole of knowledge, of marifa, of knowing Allah, of sustenance, and that's the divine law that Allah has sent with his prophets. And he sent about 120,000 prophets. The final one, of course, the prophet, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Sayyidina Muhammad ibn Abdullah, and he is the one that we follow as he is the one who had manifested in him the most perfect qualities and the final and most complete and blessed and illuminated guide and guidance for mankind, which is Islam. So we're not just here on a journey for nothing, but we're here on this journey for a purpose. And those who are not able to overcome that lower aspect of themselves and they fall off that path are the ones who will only suffer loss in this world and a very clear and manifest loss in the next and we seek refuge in Allah from that. So let's look with some detail at what Imam Haddad has told us about the five stages of existence on the involuntary journey with the aim of extracting what we need to help us understand our straight path metaphor as explained in Surah Al-Fatiha because we are expanding on that here and developing overall our Quranic worldview through that metaphor. I will read this in English and even the verses from the Quran in English. He says that the first life is the life before conception, and that's with Allah's creation of Adam, the first human being who was created without parents. And all the children of Adam, which is all the human beings, are his progeny, those who have come from him and from his wife, Hawa. At some stage in this epoch prior to the one that we currently exist in, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala brought out all the progeny from Adam and gathered them together on a place called the Wadi Na'aman, which is actually next to Arafat, where everybody goes for the Hajj. And he brought them together and he made them bear witness. And he said to them, and this is in Surah number 7, 172, When your Lord brought forth from the children of Adam, from their loins, their seed, and made them testify of themselves, he said, Am I not your Lord? They said, Bala, yes, we testify. And that was less that you should say on the day of rising, of this we were unaware. So it's at that point that the human beings' souls actually bore witness and testified and made a covenant that indeed they recognized that Allah is their Lord. So when they were brought forth now into the dunya, into this worldly life, then our side of that covenant, that recognition that Allah is our creator, is what we need to fulfill here. And the way that we fulfill that is recognizing that we were not created except to worship him and that that is what our meaning of our life is, is to recognize that and to fulfill that worship to the best of our ability following the sharia that came with the Prophet wasallam, which is the last message for mankind. So when we think about establishing our worldview, and when we say establishing our worldview on Surah Al-Fatiha, this is what we're doing, but we're just expanding it a bit more now. So we're moving away from a traditional tafsir or a traditional explanation and looking more at what has been said about it. So when we think, okay, we're learning this to establish our worldview, this is really the most fundamental thing that we need to understand is that we're here to worship Allah and we're here to fulfill the covenant that our souls took in the lifetime in the realm of existence prior to this one. After when Allah in his wisdom chose for each soul to individually come into the world via its parents, then the person is born. And they're born into this dunya, which is the lower realm. 
And that begins when a person is delivered from the womb of his or her mother. And this dunya, this second phase of the five, ends when one departs from this world through the process of death. It's here that the human being is held accountable for their actions. And what does that mean to be held accountable for your actions? It means that you will be held accountable according to whether or not you responded to and upheld the divine injunctions and prohibitions, which are a part of the covenant that our souls took when we recognize that Allah is our Lord. So how could we fulfill that covenant of worship without knowing what that worship is. And this is the mercy of the prophets. This is the mercy of having sent prophets to all nations and particularly for the final nation, the nation of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, because Allah says, وَمَا أَرْسَلْنَاكَ إِلَّا رَحْمَةً لِلْعَالَمِينَ We did not send you except as a mercy to all of the worlds. So, Allah didn't put us here for us to fail. On the contrary, he put us here for us to succeed. And the way that he has done that is by sending a messenger and now leaving it up to us saying, okay, here you are. Here's my messenger. Here is the way to live embodied and manifested in him because he has shown us as we've explained in previous episodes. And now it's up to you. So you go ahead and do what you want. But I'm telling you, this is the way to go. And if you want eternal success, you follow this path. And if you don't, then it's up to you. Okay? And what you will get is justice. So you knew as a soul that you had to come here, okay, and follow that path. And that's your fitra, your primordial self that is seeking a way of worship. And if you don't respond to that in the way that your covenant is guiding you to respond, then you're accountable for your own actions and we're just and this is Allah is just and Allah is merciful and he will take you to account for that at the end. And whoever doesn't believe in that or whoever rejects that is surely on a path of loss. And whoever does believe that and stumbles and falls and tries, alhamdulillah, your ending is guaranteed. You will be of those who will be blissful eternally because nobody who has anything other than at least an atom's weight of faith in their heart will ever reside anywhere eternally except in paradise. And this is true and we believe in that and we ask Allah to forgive us and to accept our deeds and we make tawbah and we repent and we come back and we turn back again and again to Allah and to his mercy. And alhamdulillah, what could be better than that? And what sort of a meaning is that for us to establish our understanding of this life on? That is the meaning. Okay, that's what we're all looking for. And Allah has never fallen short. Um, I mean, that's impossible for Allah to fall short. We are the ones who fall short in recognizing that. And what distracts us from that is these other paths that go to the left or go to the right or go here and go there and make us think that somehow our reality is based on other than that. So this is the most fundamental and important thing to establish within ourselves to understand our worldview and to know what are we doing here and why. So the person is born and comes into the world and Allah actually mentions this process a couple of times in the Quran and there are also many hadith on the subject. So he says that we created man from a product of clay Then we placed him as a drop in a safe lodging, which was the womb. Then we made of the lump bones. So as the cells divide, as we know from modern science, and as the fetus begins to grow, then it goes through a process. Then the bones are covered with flesh, and then it is brought forth as another creation. So the child that's born is completely different from the very beginning, which was basically uh, a zygote. Allah is the best of creators. And then there is a a hadith, very famous hadith in Imam Nawawi's collection of 40 hadith, where the Prophet told us that any one of you will have had his created existence brought together in his mother's womb as a drop, a nutfa, for 40 days when it's conceived, then a sticky attached clot called an alaqa, 
which is when that uh, holds on to the wall of the uterus and begins to grow. So it's hanging there. Then a piece of flesh, a mudra, something that looks like a chewed piece of flesh. And you can see this in all the ultrasounds and x-rays, whatever they have now, which show you this development. You can go on YouTube and see any video about the conception and development of a fetus, and it fits this description perfectly. So each of those three stages is for 40 days. And then God sends the angel to blow the spirit, the ruh, into him. And this is actually another important point because Allah says, which means that I have blown into him of my soul. So every single person has within them a divine quality which is blown into them is what actually enables us to understand that our development as human beings spiritually and our character, our akhlaq and our morality and the ethical side of our nature is something that has already fundamentally been set through the blowing of that part, that segment, that whisper of the divine essence in us so that we are able to build on that and work on that and nurture and cultivate ourselves to begin to do what is called tahalluk bi akhlaqillah which we did mention in the last episode which is when a person develops themselves out of their animalistic and lower self into their higher self which now becomes a reflection of divine qualities and attributes it mustn't ever be thought that somehow the human being is divine no no that's a complete misconception point is that we have the capacity to develop in ourselves something that reflects those qualities which are divine qualities and that's when a person ascends from an animalistic or physical or base state into something which is highly purified and highly developed and becomes more angelic. If we don't see that then we have clearly turned away and rejected that possibility of ourselves. Then the angel is commanded to write four words or four different things, which is the person's apportioned provision, his lifespan, his deeds, and whether he will end up as wretched or joyful in the afterlife. Then the Prophet ﷺ told us, one of you may do the works of the people of the garden of paradise until he is separated from it only by an arm's length. So it looks like you've had a great life, you're about to die, and inshallah, you're going to have a good outcome. But then what has been written at that point at the very beginning overtakes him and he does the works of the people of the fire and enters it. So a person on their deathbed should always, to the best of their ability and the people around them, should remind them to say la ilaha illallah and to remind them to end on the qawla thabit fi dunya wal akhirah, which is the karimah tawheed la ilaha illallah. And one of you may do the works of the people of the fire until nothing remains between him and it but an arm's length. So it looks like the person has spent their life, wasted it, done the wrong thing the whole time, messed it up for themselves. And then that which has been written overtakes him and he does the works of the people of the garden and he enters it. So the thing is, none of us know what our outcome will be. But the point is we have to try and strive and we should never give up on anybody. Even the worst people, what looks to us as the worst people might be the ones who are actually struggling the most and the ones who are trying the most and at the very end it will come right for them and that's the mercy of Allah. And that also teaches us not to judge people and not to judge where they're at on their path because none of us are perfect by any means. And we have a perfect model in the form of the Prophet wasallam. and our job is to try and emulate that as deeply and as sincerely as possible. And if that's the case, then we wouldn't judge people anyway because he didn't judge people at all. His mercy was so encompassing for everybody and he only wanted the best for everybody, which is why in the battle of Uhud in the third century of the Hijrah, when he was injured and his people were being massacred, and then they called out to him, Ya Muhammad, Ya Rasulullah, make dua against them. So pray to Allah to destroy our enemies. And he said, no, he wouldn't do that. Why? Because, Innahum qawmun la ya'lamun, because they are people who don't know. 
And so he didn't want them in their ignorance and in their darkness to be destroyed because of their ignorance and darkness. Rather, he wanted them to move ahead and to see and to become people of faith so that that would be better for them and their souls. He never wanted anybody to go to a bad ending. Then the fetus remains in the mother's womb until its appointed time. It comes into the world and the first thing it does is it screams. And the thing is that it's said that it's stabbed by shaitan. So when the child is born, then it's a sunnah to call the prayer call in the right ear and the iqama in its left ear to remind the child of its primordial nature, its fitrah. And that's a very strong sunnah to do that. So the first thing it hears really is the call of the adhan. Then, and there's quite a section here on raising children, which could be the topic of another episode, but basically it's the parent's job to nurture the child into goodness and to uproot love for the world and its pleasures from its heart and to help the child develop into a worshipful and spiritual being, not just a physical entertainment, I need my iPad, where's my phone, I want Disney and gummy bears type of a kid not that they can't have those things but it all has to be done in balance and he imam haddad says that imam ghazali has a large section on that in the ihya on how to raise children again when it comes to fixing for ourselves a proper and sound and grounded understanding in paradigm then this period of child rearing and having teenagers is very very important and we mustn't Let that slip by without seeing to the proper raising of our children. And Imam Haddad tells us that any act of religious observance that a child does before puberty, before the child is held legally accountable, is recorded in his Muslim parents' scrolls. So whatever prayers, whatever fasting, whatever good acts your children do comes a part of your reward and if it is that you tried your best and your child didn't turn out the way that you wanted immediately inshallah they'll come right in the end but if they go through a stage there of teenage years or beyond where they don't do what they're meant to do as a Muslim then know that you will be rewarded for the effort that you put into raising them and never forget that a parent's dua is always answered especially the mother So if your child's a bit off the tracks and doing that nasty teenage business, then inshallah, never give up and pray and get up in the night and pray before Fajr and ask Allah to guide them. And inshallah, they will be guided. Then when the child reaches puberty, they become mukallaf, so they're now legally accountable and they need to know that there are the two angels on either side who are recording their deeds. Then the next part of existence in this phase two of the life of the dunya is youth. And then they go on to maturity. So Imam Haddad tells us that Ibn al-Jawzi divides the human lifespan into five periods. The first is childhood, which ends at the age of 15, maximum 15. Then the second is youth, which goes to 35. The third is maturity, which ends at the age of 50. The fourth is seniority, which ends at the age of 70. And the fifth is that of decrepitude must terminate in death. So that's a basic division. And we know that at the age of 40, which is when the Prophet ﷺ received his message, that that is a very significant time. Because at that point, the good or evil or the virtue or otherwise of a person really begins to manifest. People, when they reached the age of 40, they knew that they were closer now to the end. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us Laylatul Qadr because in the centuries before us, many, many centuries ago in ancient times, people used to live for around a thousand years. And there is a person referenced in the Christian tradition called Methuselah who lived for around, I believe, 900 years. So this is something which is generally known. 
And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us Laylatul Qadr because the Prophet wanted to know how will his ummah, how will his people ever make up in good deeds when their lifespan is between 60 and 70 years compared to those who live for a thousand years. So Allah gave us Laylatul Qadr where worship in that one night is equivalent to 1,000 months. That's why it's so important that we look for that night, particularly in the last 10 nights of Ramadan, so that, inshallah, we can get for ourselves what was the equivalent of 83 years and four months of worship. And Imam Haddad tells us that if we did that for 12 years, it would be as if we had lived 1,000 years or more in God's obedience. Then a person moves into the next stage, which is seniority. And that's when a person, if they've lived their life with some degree of recognition and nurturing their spiritual state, then they will move into that in a more intense way. And that's at the point where the dignity and the reverence of a person really comes into being. So they will become a person with white hair and a person with white hair should always be respected. And it's a sign of the nearness of one's time and the necessity of folding up the spread carpet of hope, which means what? That a person knows the end is coming and that they should prepare for it and not have all these dreams and fantasies about, oh, when I do this and I want to do that and I want to buy that and I want to go here and the whole bucket list mentality. Then the final stage is decrepitude, which is from 70 years onwards when people become weak in all their senses, limbs and faculties. As Imam al-Jawzi said, there is no exit from that stage except through the door of death. And when we compare the sentiment and the knowing in Islam and people of wisdom that when the end is nigh, then they start to prepare for it with the attitude of old people in our society today, people who are heedless of religion, who are heedless of their spiritual selves and their next journey, which is onto the third stage of their existence after death, then we can see that there is a huge difference. So people who aren't at all in tune with their spiritual selves are those who want to live life like they did when they were 21 and fulfill that whole dream of retirement and living it up until they go and they want to go doing something that they enjoy and that this would be seen as the best death for them because they died doing the thing that they loved the most. But for a Muslim, the opposite is true. The best death for a Muslim is the one where you remember God and where the last words on your lips, Allah ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, and to know that even at that point when the pangs of death are upon you, that Allah's rahmah, that his mercy is greater than anything else. And to have that as your mindset and to have that as the realization of your goal in this world, which was to know Allah and to worship him, then inshallah, what a difference between leaving the world like that, which would be a husn al-khatima, where you leave with the remembrance of Allah and not where you leave being in the state of heedlessness of God. Again, when we think about forming our paradigm, we need to think about that whole process now from the development in the womb until when death overtakes us. So what is it that we're focusing on? And Imam Haddad explains every stage to us about what a person who is mindful of God and who is not heedless, how they will pass through each of those stages of life here in this dunya. There is a lot in this book and I do encourage people to get a copy of it if you can, The Lives of Man by Imam Haddad. I don't want to make this episode very, very long and I'd like to finish it now. So we'll just go on to the next stage, the third one, which is the intermediary realm. And this is after the person has passed away and until the moment he rises from his grave at the blowing of the horn. Now, where did we get this knowledge from? This is an important question because this is now the things of the ghaib, of the unseen. Everything about the second stage of life in this dunya, we know this, we experience it and we witness it, but now we're moving on to the next life which nobody has ever come back from to tell us about it and whether or not what we know is true. However, because we believe in Allah and we believe in the message and the truth 
of what the Prophet ﷺ came with, then we know this to be true and we act on it as though it is true because we know that it is. So when the person dies, then their body is washed and they are buried if that's possible. If not, then the person will still be raised from wherever they are, wherever their body has been. And what they will be raised from is the coccyx bone, which is the final part of the tailbone in a person's spine. And that when the body decomposes in the grave, that's the only part that doesn't decompose. It actually has all the DNA of a person in it as well, which is uh, modern research has discovered that. So if you want, you can look up articles or videos or things about that. Um, and it's from that that the person will be remade when the next stage begins. So here they are in the intermediary realm, which is called the Barzakh. And the first thing that happens is once the body has been buried and the grave has been covered over and the prayers have been made and the people have left, then the two angels, Munkar and Nekir, will come and question the person. And this is the most terrifying thing that happens because they will be extremely large and loom over the person and they will ask three questions. Who is your Lord? What is your religion? And who is your prophet? Then Allah will give strength to those who say, my Lord is God, Islam is my religion, and Muhammad is my prophet. The one who didn't know that will stumble and say, oh, I don't know, as it has been mentioned in sound hadith. Then the angels will strike him and his grave will tighten around him and fill with unspeakable torture. And we seek refuge in Allah from that. As for the firm believer who was established in faith and observance during his life, he will be given good tidings by the angels. His grave will be spacious and filled with both light and delight. His good works will surround him. His prayers, fasts, charity, recitations of Quran and remembrance of Allah. All these things will drive away any terrors or fears that may come to him. The grave is either one of the garden's meadows or one of the pits of the fire. That's a hadith. So again, establishing our worldview. Where are we going? And this is exactly where we're going. We're going to leave this world and we're going to end up in a grave. And that grave will either constrict and torture us or be a place of torture or it will be the opposite. It will be spacious and filled with light. And what will make it spacious and filled with light is our acts of obedience and observance of this religion in this lifetime. So when we're looking at, okay, what are we meant to do here? How are we meant to understand the world? Then one place that we can start is the end and move backwards. And that's often a planning process or procedure that companies and people will go through. They'll look at the goal and then they'll go step by step backwards to see how they can set into motion what's required to fulfill that goal. So if our goal, our immediate goal at the end of this life is to go into a grave that's spacious and full of light, then surely we need to think and work backwards. Okay, how are we going to uh, figure out for ourselves the steps that we need to take to get there? And alhamdulillah, we don't need to figure that out for ourselves. It's all been figured out for us. We heard and we obey. And inshallah, that's the path that we need to take and not to get distracted by the issues, by the politics, by the ideologies, by the calling out from everywhere and anywhere, people saying this, this and this and disparaging our religion when we know that this path is the path of haq, of truth, and it's the one and the only one that will enable us to be successful in this life and in the hereafter. Inshallah, Allah give us tawfiq. Imam al-Haddad moves on to the fourth life, which is Judgment Day. And that extends from the time when the person leaves his grave. So at the end of the third stage, the intermediary realm, the trumpet will be blown and the people will be raised up again and they will be made into the physical manifestation of the state of heart that they died in. Okay, so if a person died in a really bad state of heart, in complete heedlessness, and someone who had been overtaken by their lower selves and their worst qualities, then their physical form when they're raised up will represent that. 
And a person who died in the best state of heart, a purified heart with a qalbin salim, with a sound heart, which is one of our goals, okay, which is to purify our hearts, then inshallah they will be raised up in a physical form, which reflects that and manifests that in them. So that's how also people will be distinguished on that day already before they come to having their deeds weighed. So some examples of the manifestation of people who committed a lifetime's worth of evil deeds and who died unrepentant for that will be, for example, people who uh, committed financial transactions with interest, with usury. They will see, Imam Haddad says, their stomachs grow so large as they walk. They are constantly overbalanced by their weight and stumble over. Adulterers will see their genitals swell so large that they will have to drag them along the ground. Alcohol drinkers will come to the gathering with their cups in their hands. Liars, backbiters and slanderers will see their tongues lengthen until they reach their chests. Those who withheld their zakah will have their money made manifest in the shape of large snakes coiled around them, etc. And so it shall continue. And the ayah says, the guilty will be known by their marks and will be seized by the forelocks and the feet. And then, of course, the opposite is true of those who led lives of morality, of good judgment, of worshipful observance, and of good deeds, of helping, of charity, of fulfilling what was obligated upon them and leaving that which was prohibited. There are many things about the goods and the horrors on that day which anybody can read about and I won't go into that too much now other than to say that these are realities that we're yet to experience but that we have firm faith that they will exist and we need obviously to organize ourselves now and make sure that we're thinking and acting in a way in this life we get the best of that in the next life. So that's our point that we need to take with regards to our paradigm and how we see our life in this world world we also have the coming before Allah when all the deeds will be weighed and we also have just prior to that when the people will go around looking to see who will intercede who can I go to to speak on my behalf to Allah and to testify for me and so the people will go to all the different prophets and they will ask Adam alayhi salam and he will say, go to the next one, go to the next one. So they'll go to Nabi Nuh and Nabi Musa and all of them until finally they reach the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And he will say, Analaha. He will say, I am the one for the intercession. I am the one who will speak on your behalf and plead with Allah Subhanahu Wa Ta'ala to forgive you and enter you into the Jannah. And on that day, the dua because he said that every prophet is given a supplication, a dua, and he is reserving his for the day of judgment. And on that day, his dua will be ummati, ummati. He will ask Allah to forgive his nation. And this is part of his mercy, the prophet of mercy, that he will seek for every single person who had an atom's weight of faith in his heart that Allah should forgive them. So that is his maqam, that is his place, al-maqam al-mahmud, that we say when in the dua after the adhan, that's the place that he has on that day, which is the highest rank, which is the rank of intercession. And that's one of the blessings and the distinguishing qualities of the people of his nation. Then the good and evil deeds will be weighed and the people will cross the bridge. And the bridge will be thrown across the hellfire and mankind will be ordered to cross it. It will be sharper than a sword, narrower than a hair, and the people will have to cross it with their deeds. Imam Haddad says those whose faith is more perfect and who are quicker to obedience will be light and shall cross it swiftly as lightning. Others will be like the wind, others like birds or the best of horses, and then others will stumble and fall and others will tumble into it or be picked up by scoops that will scoop up people and drop them down into the abyss. 
then the believers will reach the hold, which is the lake or the quenching pool of the Prophet and he will see them coming because he will see the light emanating from their limbs that they used to wash when they took their ablutions and preparation for prayer. And he will recognize them. Then the fifth stage of existence is entered into and that will be one of the final abodes. And we will just mention one hadith where the noble companion Abu Huraira, may Allah be pleased with him, once asked the Prophet ﷺ, from what was creation created? And he said, from water. He asked again, of what is the garden built, meaning the paradise? And he said, one brick of gold and one brick of silver. Its mortar is fragrant musk. Its pebbles are pearls and rubies. Its dust is saffron. Those who enter it shall find joy without sorrow, permanence with neither extinction nor death. Their clothes shall never wear out, neither shall their youth pass away. And from that place which no eye has ever seen, no ear has ever heard anything like it, and no thought about its reality has ever crossed the heart of a human being, Imam Haddad says the greatest, highest, most noble and perfect felicity is to see the noble face of God in the abode of honor and bliss. And that is the Cathedral Abiyat. That is the place where the people of paradise will gather and see the manifestation of the divine countenance. Imam Haddad prays, may God grant us this purely through his grace, generosity and munificence and grant it also to our parents, our loved ones and all Muslims by his mercy, for he is the most merciful. And he quotes uh, from the Quran, My mercy embraces all things. Inform my slaves that I am indeed the forgiving, the merciful. Say, peace be upon you. Your Lord has prescribed mercy upon himself, that whoever of you does evil and repents afterward of that and does right, God is forgiving, merciful. Paradise itself has ranks and different levels and we ask Allah always the best and we always ask him to give us Jannatul Firdausi La'ala which is the highest place in paradise which is the place of and we'll quote the ayah وَمَنْ يُطِعِ اللَّهَ وَالرَّسُولَ فَأُولَٰئِكَ مَعَ الَّذِينَ أَنْعَمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِمْ مِنَ النَّبِيِّينَ وَالصِّدِّقِينَ وَالشُّهَدَاءِ وَالصَّالِحِينَ so that is the place where Allah says, and whoever obeys Allah and the Messenger, they will be with those upon whom Allah has bestowed favor from the prophets, the steadfast affirmers of truth, the Siddiqeen, the martyrs, and the righteous, and excellent are those as companions. Inshallah, we ask Allah to raise us and allow us to follow those people into paradise inshallah and to be with them there and that is a point where we will move on to our next episode inshallah because when we look at in the second part of surah al-fatiha who are the people that allah has blessed and that's who they are the four types of people that allah has blessed and we ask him to bless us and keep us on the path that they were on and to not allow us to follow the path who have earned his anger or those who have gone astray. So very much the next part of Surah Al-Fatiha is about the voluntary journey and the choices that we make and who do we want to be like, who do we follow and who are we ourselves in this life that we're living as we try, inshallah, as believing people to make our choices appropriate and congruent with the involuntary journey that Imam Haddad has explained for us. So inshallah, we ask Allah for tawfiq and we ask Allah to give us a proper and sound understanding and a proper way of establishing for ourselves a framework and a paradigm based on Surah Al-Fatiha, but of course supplemented with an enormous canon of scholarly work and lived experience of people as they've gone through this life and manifested prophetic qualities in themselves and manifested the beauty and light of faith by practicing Islam in the best and truest way. We ask Allah to enable us to see the world as the pious people see the world and to live in this world the way that pious people have lived in this world and to live in a way which is most pleasing and accepted by him subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Inshallah, I look forward to our next episode where we will continue, Inshallah. Wa sallallahu ala Sayyidina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa sallam. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfiruka wa atubu ilaik.